today. You know, from time to time, I, I feel that God has a, a way of orchestrating things in a unique way to allow me to be able to receive the Word of God and to sit and listen in my own congregation. You know, it's very, very rare that I would, I would not be here and, and be preaching. But I'm grateful <clears throat> that a couple of times a year uh, I, I get to do that. And I'm excited today about how God ordained this. A friend of mine from Bible college years ago, we knew each other, and we, we, we had a, a, an acquaintance type of a friendship. But as we went our, our ways after graduating, and both of us planted churches, one in Boise, Idaho, one in Hot Springs, Arkansas, you know, we, we didn't communicate a whole lot. Got reacquainted, found out he is now planting another church in Santa Barbara, California. He'll take just a minute to tell you about that amazing journey. And I was able to, to connect with him and find that Tim, Bruce, my friend, was coming through with his family. And actually, his wife, Erin, is connected to a lot of ladies that she's already met in the church that she knew, a handful of ladies that she, she knew from years ago. And so it's kind of neat the way God's kind of put this together. But most importantly, it's not the phone call or the, the schedule. It's just that he's here. And this is who God has for us this morning. And I can assure you, uh, this morning at 9 o'clock, it was a very, very special service just perfect for the worship set, perfect for what we're celebrating on Tuesday with those that we love. So I want you to be thinking this morning about what God is going to do in your heart, how he's going to stir your heart about the subject title that you have before you, Intimacy with Jesus. If you, have a, if you need a worship God, would you raise your hand and we'll get you one? Great, got quite a few. And so as they pass out those worship gods to the uplifted hands, Tim, you come. And would you join me in giving him just a gospel-like welcome for being with us this morning, Pastor Tim Bruce. We are excited to be here. We love uh, your pastor. We love this church. And um, we were here years ago. Is it? Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. I turned the mute off. I just didn't, didn't connect it. All right. Can you hear me now? All right. So, yes, uh, we're glad to be here. We've been excited about coming. And um, I've always appreciated about your pastor, you know, being, this is, it sounds kind of self-centered, but... I've always appreciated how excited he acts when he sees me, you know. Uh, he just always seems like, wow, he's really excited to see me. And I realize that he is excited, but he does that for, I mean, I'm sure lots of you have felt like when, when you see Eric somewhere, that he is excited to see you. And uh, it's genuine. That's the cool thing. And it's like Jesus. That's what reminds me, uh, the thing about your pastor that reminds me of Jesus, most of all. Is how he's always excited to see me. And I experience that in my prayer life. That's kind of what I want to share with you this morning. But it's that thought that Jesus is always excited when I come to spend time with him. He's always happy to see me. I, I have this picture in my mind when I go to be alone with Jesus. And the picture is him embracing me. He always embraces me, and there's a kind word. I, I imagine this to get myself, and whether he's actually saying it or not, I, I think it's something he would say. But it's like an embrace, and, and his, he's, his mouth's by my ear, you know, and he says something like, I am so happy to see you. I'm so happy to be with you. And I go through that visualization just to get my heart ready, to, to just be with Jesus without an agenda, you know, without a checklist, just quality time hanging out, being with 
the most influential, the most powerful, the most loving. Let me say this. He loves you more than you think he does. He loves you more than you think he does. He's better than you think he is. You, we have such a good deal. The whole point of life is figuring out how good a deal we have with Jesus. He loves you so much. So uh, before I jump into the message, though, uh, Santa Barbara, California is a really cool place. Anybody here ever been to Santa Barbara? Been to Santa Barbara, right? Yeah, I hope they don't leave and come with us, Brother Eric. I, it's not my intention, you know. But uh, we didn't plan on going to Santa Barbara originally. Uh, we didn't plan on life taking us there, but life did take us there in 2011. Uh, we took a sabbatical. We've been in ministry full-time uh, ever since, well, my wife, her dad was a pastor. She's been in ministry her whole life. And uh, we began back in 1991 serving the Lord full-time as a vocation and as a calling. And, uh, and so we found ourselves in 2011 in Santa Barbara. And uh, God, God spoke to us when we were there and said, don't go back to Boise, Idaho, which is where we had planted a church and spent... 12 years, and we were really sure that the Lord was moving in that direction, but also very surprised. But God began to work in our hearts, and over time, he began to reveal to us that he had brought us to this place because there was a great need in that place. And Santa Barbara, if you've, if you've heard, maybe you haven't, but the area there is known as the birthplace of the New Age movement. So it's a very influential place. It's a, it's a group of people, it's a culture of people that are very proud of where they live. It's like a, it really is, it's like a jewel on the Southern California coast. I mean, there's just palm trees and green grass and the weather's always like 69 or 68, you know. And then it really heats up to 75 sometimes. Everybody complains and then winter hits and it's 62, you know. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, it's freezing, you know. And, I spent a few years in Ontario, Canada, uh, serving the Lord, and I always say, uh, it's, it's not freezing, but I understand why you, they come in with their parkas on, you know, it's getting down to 50 tonight, you know, anyways, so, so it's a proud, a proud people there, and they have this saying, whatever happens in Santa Barbara happens in California, and happens in America, so they feel like they are influential, and in some ways that are not so good, uh, they have been very influential in the United States. And so we began to realize that God was calling us there. There's less than 5% of the population that would be considered as, as evangelical Christian. And, and there's a great need, but the need isn't realized by many. They don't realize the need. Like the Bible says, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That is the thought and attitude of many that live there. And then there's a great deal of people that are homeless there. Uh, if, if you go to Santa Barbara, um, you know, by chance, be ready or be homeless. <laughs> you know, that, that's pretty much, or meet friends quickly that have a couch, you know, because it is, it is an expensive place to live. It is. And uh, it seems like, oh, a big daunting challenge and all this stuff. But let me tell you, you know, we went there unexpectedly, uh, you know, being in the ministry full-time for many years. And God just did miracles. 
and established our family in that area. We don't live in the city of Santa Barbara yet, but I know we're going to eventually. But uh, we live nearby. But God did miracles to get us down there and to get us to the place that we could live there. Just unbelievable ways that God gave us connections and out of the blue did things that established us in that city. So the second half of this year, we're going to be having some Get Acquainted events. Uh, We've already had some prayer meetings and Bible studies, but we're going to be having uh, Get Acquainted events and some other events to reach out to the community community there in the second half of this year. And uh, it's our prayer to launch a worship service before the end of the year. So you can pray for us about that. We're traveling uh, for eight weeks, uh, looking for God to give us a few more partners to get us uh, established in Santa Barbara there. And man, it's just an exciting thing. Uh, I heard a pastor a couple weeks ago talking about Antioch. And he talked about why the church was planted in Antioch in the Bible. And he said, you know, they didn't do a demographic study. They didn't go door to door and do surveys and and figure out. They didn't realize that the social economic status of this town would support a ministry. It wasn't that. It was that life took them to Antioch. And in the place where they found themselves, they began to be Christians. They began to be who they were, who the Spirit of God was making them. And the result of that was a congregation. And people were first called Christians in Antioch. And there aren't a lot of Christians, so to speak, where we're going, where God has sent us. But we know that if we will go where God has sent us and be who he has made us to be, that he's going to gather people to himself. And that's his calling. And we're passionate about it. And we're excited about it. And uh, we're thankful to, to be here today just to share this day with you. So yeah, thanks for having us. I want to read some scripture to you this morning. Uh, the, this scripture kind of occurred to me. I don't have a slide for it, but God brought it to my heart this, this morning in the early service. And, uh, and so I want to share uh, with you also. It's Proverbs chapter 25 and verse number 2. Proverbs 25 verse 2. Uh, the Bible said it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, and the honor of kings to search it out. It's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings to search it out. The older I get as a Christian, and and the longer I've, I've sought to know the Lord, I've realized that the main goal of my life is to embrace whatever comes from intimacy with Jesus Christ. To embrace whatever comes from intimacy with Jesus. And the truth is, I don't really have time to do anything else. When I was 17 years old, I was reading my Bible, and, you know, I had kind of had a little bit of a relationship with God, you know, I had heard of him, I had received him, I knew I was a Christian, I had even surrendered my life to to be a pastor, because I felt God call me to do that. But when I was 17 years old, I feel like I began to know the Lord in a way that I had never known him before. And the thing that struck me about him was the scripture that I read one night that said that he desired to seek us, for us to seek him more than we sought after gold. And I started thinking about how all of life is set up around me 
Everyone around me, the whole world around me, everyone is seeking after the things of this earth, it feels like. But God is saying right here that he wants to be sought after more than even gold. And I remember getting down on my knees next to my bed that night when I was 17 years old. And, and, and I just kind of sat there for a minute. I was quiet and all of a sudden I felt tears welling up in my eyes. And I was thinking, what's going on? And my heart began to be full of this love and of this almost compassion for the Lord. And I began to pour my heart out to God and say, I want you more than gold. He gave me the ability to say that to him. He filled me with some love that he wanted me to give back to him. And I said, God, I don't care about a big house. I don't care about a fancy car. I mean, now that I'm older, I'd like one. But <laughs> when I was 17, I had a more pure heart, you know. I said, <laughs> I said, Lord, I don't care about a, a big house or a fancy car. I don't care about a big bank account. I said, I want you. I want to know you. I really want to know you, Jesus. And the older I get, it seems like the only thing I can really sink my teeth into, the only thing I can say for certain is that the goal of my life is to embrace whatever springs from intimacy with Jesus. Because when you think about it, all the other things that consume our time, which is so short, aren't really that valuable. And the Bible says it this way. Look at, look at Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. Verse number 7. The Bible says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And look back at verse 8 just for a second. The Bible says, I count all things to be lost in view, look at these words, of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What is the Lord saying here? He's saying that everything, everything is rubbish. It's a loss. It's a wash. It's nothing. Everything is rubbish next to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. And so I started thinking about, so if I'm going to know him, then it can't be like a casual acquaintance. You know, we've all got relationships that are like casual acquaintances. Like, oh, hey, man, yeah, how's it going? Good to see you. How's work? Good. How are the kids? Good. Good. We've all got those relationships in our life, and sometimes that's what life, it seems like almost all of life is made up of those relationships. But there's something different, there's something better that's available to us, not only between each other, 
but between us and Jesus that he has for us, that he wants us to have. Because what he has to offer, Paul said, the value of that surpasses, the excellence of this thing surpasses everything. In fact, it makes everything on earth seem like a waste of time. It makes everything on earth seem insignificant. If we truly can experience intimacy with Jesus Christ, then everything this world has to offer, as the old song says, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so God, over time, he reels us in. He reels us in. Now, I love mystery. That verse I read you in Proverbs, that it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. I've often thought about that verse. And recently I was watching uh, the History Channel or the Learning Channel or the Mountain Man Channel or whatever it is. There's all those channels now. And these guys were up on a mountain somewhere out in the middle of Colorado or Wyoming or Idaho. You know, they're up on a tall mountain and they're moving boulders. That could be the Lord calling. You never know. They're moving these boulders, and, and I mean, they, they have hiked up this mountain, they've risked their life, the wind's blowing so hard, there's rocks flying around, you know, it's not a tornado either, it's just, there's rocks, you know the wind's blowing hard when you get hit by a rock, right, unless your brother's out there with you, then it might be him, you know, but I mean, the wind's blowing hard, they're up there now, I believe what I'm going to say. I believe under that there boulder, there's a rubatoid. You know, they'll come up with some name. There's an amethyst. I know a rubatoid's not a real gemstone. Some of you looked at me like, he just made a word up. I did. I did. There's an amethyst under that rock, I believe. I believe I can get, uh, there's a vein on a similar peak where I secured a $15 amethyst. amethyst. I believe, and they're up there. He thinks if he can move that boulder and get way up under there. Now, the dangerous thing is the mountain might cave in on me, and there's a storm coming, and there's three mountain lions on our trail. You know, they are risking everything. Anybody ever seen that show where they're looking for these gemstones? Right on. All right. Okay, right on. You know the name of it. Thank you. That's the prospectors. There we go. We should get together and have a TV day, it sounds like. (laughs) And so they're risking everything because on this mountainside, out in the middle of nowhere, under this boulder, after risking life and limb to get to the peak, there's an amethyst under that boulder at 12,000 feet. And I was watching that and I started thinking, God, why did you do that? It's the glory of God to conceal a thing and the honor of kings or prospectors to search it out. Why did you do that? Why did you hide that beautiful thing under that boulder? When we first went to Santa Barbara, we were on a sabbatical. It was wonderful. Then after, uh, during that time, we just got to spend so much time walking with the Lord. And, and especially, um, I, you know, I have to be real honest here. I'm going to be vulnerable with you. I spent a lot of time, like, um, relaxing. My wife spent a lot of time walking with the Lord. (laughs) 
But this is one of, one of her awesome stories. I did some walking with the Lord, but, you know, it was sabbatical. We were in California. There's palm trees, you know. The Lord and me are going to relax. He was with me. But, <laughs> but, you know, she's out walking and talking with him. And, and one day when she was walking and talking with him, she was, she was heading across a bridge. And uh, there was a little stream flowing under it. It was way, w- went way down into the, into the woods. And as she was walking across the bridge, she felt impressed in her heart that God wanted her to go down under the bridge. And, you know, she's just out walking and listening to God. And so she went down, she walked down, and, and she was heading down this embankment. And all of a sudden she thought, well, this is kind of dangerous, you know. There's, it's kind of a scary, way down, dark, and deep place. And, and she went on, she pressed through her fears, and she's by herself in, in Santa Barbara, way down under this bridge, you know, in this wooded area down in the dark shadows under this bridge and she felt like he said keep going keep going deeper keep going deeper so she kept going she kept going deeper she got down there and there was this little stream i mean this thing is about as wide as the stream by that point back then the drought was in full force you know and uh it was about this wide and under the stream what stood out to her what she took from that experience was there was a flower that was growing, it was literally under the stream water, way down under this bridge. And it's really a simple thing to find a flower way down there. But what she felt God was saying to her was, men like to build bridges. Men like to get past it really fast. Men like to, you you know, we like to, especially in our culture, right? We got to keep moving. We got to get from point A to point B. But on this particular day, God said, I want you to take your time and I want you to go deep. Because when you take your time and you go deep, you see things that you don't see when you're speeding through life and moving fast. And the mysterious thing is, to me, what I took from that, God, why would you you put this beautiful thing that you've created way down deep? I don't think anybody but her ever saw that flower. Why would you put it there? There's these mysteries, these things that God does. And I began to realize as I got older that the, the process, the, the, the practice of searching out a mystery is a lesson. That God is luring us into himself with his mystery. It says he conceals these things. He hides these things. There are things in our universe that human eyes will never discover. Maybe in in heaven we'll discover those things, but for now, we know when we look up at the stars that there are things out there that we cannot fathom. And as technology has grown, and you know, the Hubble, and, and we can see these deep field scans of space, and these clusters of galaxies, and these beautiful things that we see, I, I think, God, why did you put that out there? And he whispers to me, I'm reeling you in. That's me. I did that. I'm reeling you in. We live half a mile from the ocean right now. It's really cool. About once a week, we go catch a sunset. We'll look out the kitchen window, and if the sky looks painted, I mean, it gets like your windows here sometimes. It's just amazing, the colors in the sky. And when we see those colors, I'll I'll say, sunset! Or whoever sees it, they'll say, sunset! And everybody drops what they're doing. We all rush down to our van and we hop in it. And we drive over to the beach and catch the sunset. And often as I stand there and I look out at the water, 
I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that there's so much beauty under that water. The Pacific Ocean is so big. And up, in, up until, a, you know, Jacques Cousteau, uh, remember him, right? What's the name of his ship? The Eucalyptus or something? What is it? Anyways, I'll get sidetracked. Uh, up until he came along and started discovering what's under the ocean with his fancy submarines and stuff, you know, and really that stuff started getting put out on TV, we were vastly unaware of what was out there. And every day they discover, you know, something new about what's under the ocean. And it's, a, it's greatly unexplored. And it's such a beautiful place, such a majestic place. Sometimes I'll see the plume of a whale going by or a, or a dolphin will hop out in a wave or whatever. And we see so many beautiful things. But it's so vast and so deep and there's so much to see. And again, God is using the mysteries to pull us in. And really, he's orchestrated all of creation to reel us in. Everything around us. I haven't been to Hot Springs National Park, but I'm sure it's beautiful. And there's a reason for it. It's not just an accident. It's not just that the tectonic plates released the heat that heated the water. and It's not just cold science. It's a creative artist called God that uses math and science and gravity and physics to create his art in dimensions that we can't fathom. And it's mysterious on purpose because he wants to pull you in. He likes the chase. He likes being chased. He wants intimacy. He wants real intimacy. He doesn't want to just be the God on the throne that we know and that we, you know... Yes, Lord. That might be good for a starting point, but it's not where he wants us to wind up. He wants intimacy. So I just want to give you three thoughts this morning about real intimacy. What must be present to have real intimacy? And I hope this will will help you as you seek this, I really believe that it's all that matters. Now, maybe I'll get to heaven and God will say, well, there's a couple other things that matter, you know, and, and, and we'll work that out. But I, right now in my life, in my life, I feel like it's, it's just all that matters because everything that comes from that, that's what I really want anyways. I don't really want the stuff that comes from other places. So this must be present for real intimacy. Number one... To have real intimacy, we have to have availability. We must be available. I've got to spend time with those that I want to really know. Nothing takes the place of time spent together. There's so much clamoring for our time nowadays. So many things that need our time. We have so much overhead. We have so much overhead that requires our constant attention. And the overhead is there because we want to take care of the ones that we love. Right? Nothing takes care of the ones that we love like time spent together. Nothing produces real relationships like time spent together. Now, I appreciate and we appreciate everything our parents did for us. Our kids appreciate everything we're doing for them. They realize the sacrifice. To be honest, I get a tear in my eye when I think about 
how hard my dad worked when I was growing up. And the long hours and the 40 years with the same company and, and all that he did. I appreciate that. But do you know what my favorite memories of my childhood are? The three days me and my dad went on a road trip down to Orlando because his brother-in-law worked down there and he could buy a car a little cheaper down there if he went to his brother-in-law's dealership where he worked. So he took me. We drove to Orlando. We went to Cape Canaveral. On the way home, we stopped at a Braves game. We spent three days together in the car. We talked about life. We talked about everything. I was 12 years old. That is what life is all about. Time spent with each other. We've got so much overhead. We're trying to provide so much. And listen, I'm not, I'm not dogging that. But I am saying that I've learned that I'd rather be in poverty and have time with my kids than have everything and no time with my kids. There's a balance there somewhere that has to be found. We have to have time together in our homes for our relationships to be what they're meant to be. For them to be actual relationships that are really intimate. We need people that we can be intimate with, vulnerable, available. So we have to have availability. Number two, I said it. We have to have vulnerability. I have to be real. If we're going to have intimacy, we have to be vulnerable. It's been said, and I didn't say this, I heard someone say it, but the two most comforting words in the English language are me too. Me too. You see, there's this fear of being vulnerable. And what we need to learn is that when we're vulnerable or when someone's vulnerable to us, and we can relate to that and say, me too. It takes away the fear of intimacy. You know, we think that we're, we're so hard on ourselves that we try to hide things. We won't be vulnerable. It's difficult to open up and to say what's real. I mean, what, can you imagine that? Can you imagine if in your marriage you said what was real? What's actually happening in your heart and mind? Can you imagine with your children if they were saying to you, what was actually happening in their heart and mind. I mean, if there was a freedom to, to be vulnerable, to express what's actually going on, what you find out when you're vulnerable, you find out that people say, oh, me too. Me too. You know, when my son comes to me with an issue he's facing, and I say, me too, it's just like, oh, thanks, Dad. You know, big hug. And, and we're so, our society is so focused on consequences. Well, there's got to be consequences. There's just got to be consequences, right? And Jesus is so focused on removing consequences <laughs> that he would die to remove them. Do you ever feel afraid when you confess your sins to Jesus? Oh boy, how's he going to react? You know, we're going to have lightning and thunder. Maybe a wind is going to blow. Maybe a crow is going to dive bomb me. You know, what's going to happen when I'm vulnerable with Jesus? And I always find that like a loving father picks up his child. When his child has fallen, Jesus reaches down and picks me up. 
And it's that fear of consequences that suppresses vulnerability. It happens over and over again. We just, we can't imagine if someone knew the real us. Well, it starts with Jesus. Now, I've been there. I've been there before where I thought, man, I can't, I just feel like I don't want to tell Jesus what I did or what I thought or how I was acting. I don't want to tell him. He's got to be sick of me by now, right? He's got to be sick of it. He's got to be done. Okay. I've given you more than a second chance, pal. You again. The enemy comes to you with all these phrases. You again. You're a loser. You've really messed up this time. He is angry with you. He's done with you now. Boy, the consequences are coming this time. This time, he's going to, he's just, this thing's blowing up. You're done for. He is so sick of you. The enemy lies over and over again. And every single time. We sing it. We sing it. All the old hymns say it. All the new worship songs say it. And on and on and on and on it goes. He overwhelms and satisfies my soul. And then we walk out and we say, I'm such a loser. I'm a failure. Wait a second, I thought it went on and on. It goes on, they should change the word. It goes on a little while, you know. Then he gets sick and really whoops you. We couldn't sing to that, could we? That would just, I wouldn't want to sing, man. Let's skip that part of the service. But that's how we live. That's the mindset that we live with. That somehow we've got this impatient, angry God who's really concerned about enforcing the consequences that he already removed. Listen, the wrath and judgment of God Almighty was exhausted on the body of Jesus Christ. Fully exhausted. And when you step under the umbrella of the blood of Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And yet we condemn ourselves and we condemn each other. And we wonder sometimes why we can't have intimacy because intimacy requires vulnerability. It requires it. Because only the real you can have a relationship. An image of you can't really have a relationship. It's like, you're playing a video game or something. Right? That's not you. That's a digital you. I'm, I'm disturbing some of you. You thought it was really you. I know, we look way better in the video games, don't we? <laughs> but, but, but we're just afraid of the real us being known. And we see it even on our Instagram accounts, right? All of our perfect entrees. Everybody looks and says, oh, their entree is so beautiful. That's not even real. We took a picture of the menu item, right? We put it on Instagram. We live in the generation of show your food to everyone, right? Show it at an angle with the water coming down the glass. Ooh. Show your lemonade, right? Show your view right now. My view right now is superior to everyone who ever had a view. Look at my view. Please like my view. Only three people liked my view. We want everyone to think everything is perfect and we're doing great. Yeah, 
I'm great. I'm always great. Everything's great. But we can't have intimacy without vulnerability. And then the third thing is, first was availability, second is vulnerability, the third is exhortation. To experience intimacy, we have to have a, a spirit of exhortation, not consequences. I said it earlier, encouragement is more important than consequences. Encouragement is more important than consequences. Years ago, Aaron, uh, my wife, she, she was, well, we had this family that we knew. Um, he was a pastor. He and his wife had three adult children. Um, they're in their 60s at the time. And um, we really looked at their family and we thought, wow, they're smart. They all seem to love each other. They love their parents. The siblings love each other. They love God. We want, we want that. So we talked to them. We said, hey, can we ask you what Erin did? She called them and said, well, what's your deal? What are you guys doing? And they told her about Family Circle. That's what we call it. And they brought it to us, Family Circle. What we do is, and we started doing this in our family, we get together periodically. Over time, this becomes a culture in the family. But it started with just these like weekly get-togethers where we'd sit around in a circle and we would say to the kids, for the next little while... We're going to let you say whatever you want to say. We want you to tell us anything that's going on in your life. We want you to tell us anything that you'd like help from, from us. If we've offended you in any way, we want to hear that. If someone in the family has offended you, we want to hear that. If there's a sin you want to confess, we want to hear that. And when we're in the family circle, there's going to be no consequences. There's going to be no consequences. And it's risky. You know, you feel like, ooh, this is risky. What if I find out that my son is like a drug dealer in Panama, you know? <laughs> no consequences. Now, he's here all the time, but he's sneaking out at night, going to Panama, you know? He's El Chapo II, right? It was risky. Yes, it, it is risky to be vulnerable. It's risky. But, but the, the thing that makes it feel safe is, well, God does it. God lets us tell him whatever. He lets us confess whatever, and I never feel condemned. But it's an effort for me as a parent to be like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> oh, I'm not reacting. What? Why do you think I'm reacting? My eyebrows are quivering and my nostrils are flared. I'm not reacting. Oh, that's fine. Thank you for sharing. You know? But what began to happen over time is that we, our kids would start coming to us at 1 or 2 in the morning, knock on the door. I just want to tell you something. Remember that time I told you I did this? I actually did this. And I just wanted to tell you. Because I want you to know. Yeah. Intimacy started happening. And it's more of a culture now. When we're driving somewhere. It even happened this week. Can I tell you guys something? Yeah. You know what our response was? We are so proud of you for telling us that. We want to help you with that. Well, we learned that from Jesus. We learned it from him. It has to be there for intimacy. 
if every time you try, you know, you don't, you don't open up with your drill sergeant, right? I just want you to know I haven't learned how to make my band yet. And I hope you'll be patient with me. That's not that kind of relationship. But in the home, we, we need that kind of relationship. We need that intimacy. With Jesus, we have to have that. Because everything springs from that. You know, when I go to be alone with Jesus, whether it's in in my closet or if I'm in the car alone or or whatever, and I start to picture his attitude toward me and it softens my heart, and I begin to, to pour my heart out to him, and then I just start to sit there and just listen to him. What's he saying? What's he saying to me right now? It almost always starts with, I love you. And I always feel that in my heart. And I feel myself saying, I know you do. I know you do. And then, sure enough, after a while of soaking in that, I'll feel like I come from that time with some type of impression or instruction for life that almost always turns out well. I have to tell you, like I I feel like I won the lottery when I met my wife. One of the ways I know God loves me is by the wife that he gave me but I have to tell you I had absolutely no strategy for finding a wife in fact all of the best things in my life did not come from my own plans but they did spring from a pattern of intimacy with Jesus so whatever you're facing right now whatever the unknowns are whatever's got you worried Can I just suggest to you that the solution, which there is a solution, there is always a solution. There is, you are never stuck. There is always a solution to whatever you're facing. But the solution begins with intimacy with Jesus Christ. It begins there. Without that, listen, don't even crack a book. Don't Google anything. It's not on Craigslist. You know? Now, he might take you through some of those venues, but it begins with intimacy with Jesus Christ. We have to start there. Healthy marriages start with intimacy with Jesus. Healthy healthy thinking and acting kids come from parents who are intimate with Jesus. That's where it starts. That's where it begins. So whatever you're facing today, just get alone with him. Just start there. And whatever springs from that, embrace it. Whatever comes from that, embrace it. It could be crazy. It could be risky. I don't know where he'll take you. But I know if he's taking you, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I can sleep when he's driving. You know what I'm saying? I can't sleep when everybody's driving. No offense. But... <laughs> Actually, I can sleep when my wife is driving, and I can sleep when my dad is driving. But that's about it. Everyone, I I, got to control it. Oh, there's a turn coming up. See that sign? It's a sign, you know. But when Jesus is driving, man, I can just put my feet up, sit back, relax, close my eyes. Because he's driving. He's driving. It begins with intimacy. May I encourage you. Above all things, seek intimacy with Jesus Christ. Become addicted. 
become addicted to time alone with Jesus. I mean, like a junkie, right? All you think about is time alone, man. I need my time, man. Right? Dude, bro. I'm from SoCal. You know, you know, if you want to say yes in SoCal, you say no, yeah. If you want to say no, you say yeah, no. Dude, bro. Like a junkie addicted to Jesus Christ, to time alone with him. That's what everything comes from. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.